Good evening to you all. Can you hear in the back? It's good. Okay, Robert. I'm going to start by telling you part of a story. Uh, quite a while ago, I lived on the West Coast, and the work that I was doing at the time involved sometimes teaching self-defense classes to women. So while I was at work one day, I had a phone call from somebody who was kind of an acquaintance. I mean, somebody that I knew, but I didn't know well. I had met in the course of work. And she said that she had a friend uh, that she wanted to bring over to meet me. And so... We talked a little bit about this and and why. So I said, okay, um, you know, I'd be glad to meet her, have her come over. So the two of them came over to my workplace. And um, uh, the friend of the person I talked to on the phone turned out to be uh, a woman who had decided that she was going to walk by herself Uh, cross-country for peace. And she was basically going to carry uh, a musical instrument with her. She was a musician. And she was going to stop in various towns and communities where she could, um, you know, find shelter for the night, and she would play a concert for peace. So her friend, who had kind of a practical cast of mind um, (laughs) thought there were like you know maybe a few loose ends with the plan and so she wanted her to uh, come to see me to talk about personal safety uh, on this route right like you know what were some moves she could do in case you know the meta wasn't enough So, you know, I thought, oh, this is really intriguing. Because at this point, I had been doing spiritual practice myself, you know. But, um, you know, I'm kind of of the mind uh, mind state uh, or view, you know, uh, praise Allah and tie the camel to the post. Or, you know, peace in your heart, but, you know, a good right hook is handy sometimes, too. (laughs) So... We were talking, so I was asking her, you know, about her motivation for this walk and what would be involved with it. And, you know, the wild card in in the whole thing was, of course, that, you know, she didn't really want to think about what the dangers would be, but she kind of had to open to the fact that there were potential dangers. So uh, we did kind of review a few moves, right? And... um, so she was very appreciative of, of the instruction and training. And at the, the end of it, you know, I said, you know, I'm really, um, I'm really interested in, in what you're doing. And, I, you know, it's such a huge undertaking. You know, I, it's hard to imagine doing such a thing by yourself, you know, undertaking this solitary walk. And this is pre-cell phone days, right? So it's not like, you know, you're out on the road and you're in touch with anybody, this is a big, big country. 
uh, to walk across as a solitary person. And this was a woman of color as well. So for me that had a little bit extra fill-up of, you know, what that would be like to be by yourself out there all alone. So I said, you know, I... Uh, you know, I'll, I'll keep you in my heart. I'll uh, pray for your safety every day. And, you know, when you come back, would you come and talk with me about what it's like to do this? What was this like to do uh, an undertaking like this that requires so much faith and so much resolve and so much discipline and so much facing of fear and, uh, you know, potential danger? Uh, in order to offer this message of peace. So she said she would. She'd come back and tell me. So motivations, you know. Motivations can be very powerful things. They can cause us to undertake things that are right at the very limit of what we can do, maybe over, if they're powerful and if they're strong. And motivations are also very tricky because they can be very mixed. And you may have noticed this for yourself. So, you know, when we come to Dharma practice, we're looking for something, you know. To be honest, we are looking for something. And maybe we're looking for more than one thing. And sometimes what we want is very specific. So... You know, even though we've heard and we might even believe that our, you know, intrinsic nature of mind is something pure and radiant, um, you know, that's often not exactly what we experience, right? We're not all sitting here every day, every sitting, suffering from a surplus of pure and radiant mind, right? (laughs) There's a few other things that bubble up from time to time. So, you know, if we were going to be perfectly honest, we would have to say, well, you know, uh, uh, things might be perfect as they are, but, you know, they could stand a bit of improvement. So when we come to practice, our motivations are at least somewhat mixed because our mind streams themselves are mixed, right? They're a Uh, wholesome qualities in the mind stream. There are unwholesome qualities in the mind stream. Um, Sometimes they seem like they're braided together almost. They can't separate one from another. They seem to be happening at the same time. I mean, how many times have uh, one of you come into an interview and said something like, you know, I I, uh, held the door for somebody uh, going into the dining hall, but, you know, I thought it was from Meta, but then, you know... I realized that I was hoping people saw me do it so they would, you know, think that I had meta, and so it was really all for show. Um, You know, maybe meta first, then, you know, wanting to create an image second. So, you know, we have a lot of different intentions, and we undertake our journey and walk our path with a lot of these different intentions in play. And we might have a picture of where we want to go and how it's going to feel like and what we want to accomplish in our time here. And we want to use the retreat to get there. Right? We're going to go on retreat and we're going to get there. (laughs) 
But, you know, being aware of our agendas is really important because if we don't know them, they can really trip us up and hinder our progress and can cause an awful lot of suffering and confusion and frustration in this quest. And not only suffering and frustration, but a lot of wasted motion, actually. A lot of wheel spinning, a lot of, you know, circuitous detours that uh, turn out to be dead ends. If we don't see them, then our practice becomes an attempt to implement what we want to have happen, trying to impose our own goals on this process. And then the small, small self, the egoic self, takes the driver's seat and tries to run things, right? And then instead of a soft receptivity, what's happening is a, some kind of rigid struggle to control what's happening. So here are some examples of motivations and agendas that are often carried with us, uh, whether for a whole retreat or for a sitting. So I'll just go down through this list and you know just see if uh, any of them ping for you. Okay. To get rid of a particular emotion or emotional pattern. Any any stepchild emotions? To make ourselves different, this is a preferred version of the self, in some essential manner. We don't, we don't like ourselves. We, we want to make ourselves different. We have a model that we prefer, and we're trying to use this process to get there. To attain a particular kind of spiritual experience we've heard or read about. You know, there's some good stories out there. (laughs) You may have heard a few around the Dharma water cooler. (laughs) What was that about Deepama being able to walk through walls? To prove something to ourselves or someone else. You know, I can do it. I can do it. You know, my partner's a yogi. I want to show partner I can do it. I can do the retreat. Um, I'm going to show my mother I can stick to something. (laughs) Uh, I'm not a quitter. (laughs) To experience pleasantness, bliss, or concentration. Uh, And maybe a little psychic experience. Because I've heard that those can happen in these kinds of environments. Sometimes there's... To impress the teachers, get recognized. Right? I mean, think about that. I mean, this frequently comes up for people when they're in the process of coming in for interviews, right? Just knows that little impulse to, like, present. (laughs) To have my ego and or personality disappear. (laughs) Or both. Is the ego in the personality, or is the personality in the ego? That's another talk, right? To again experience something from a previous sitting or retreat. Right? The claw back, 
You know, I remember this one sitting I had, you know, at three month at IMS five years ago, and it was like crystal. It, I was just there. There were no thoughts. Everything was arising and passing away. Now, how did I do that? <laughs> Let's see, I think I walked in. It was after lunch, but I, no, I didn't have any carbos. Uh, I think I sat down, and I think I did some stretching before. I, what was it? Okay. To be a good yogi, right? And great, great would be even better. A great yogi, to be a great yogi, to be a good yogi, you know, to be seen as being a good yogi. Uh, to get rid of a physical and or emotional condition. Right? To get rid of it. Something needs to get fixed. And this is the place to do it. So, you know, if we don't see these, there's a number of problems with these agendas because we invest in them and then we proceed from them as a starting point. And we also use them as a standard for measuring how the practice is going. And one of the big problems with this is it provides much too small a context, right? We're trying to squeeze our spiritual practice into this closed-end, limited, specific goal version of outcome. We're coming in with a goal. We're trying to make the practice accomplish that. And so in that, we're really starting from the wrong base and bringing an overlay to the whole situation. Instead of proceeding simply, we keep our usual approach going, right? Our usual approach to life going, even in this environment. At the same time, we're trying to be simply aware, right? Simply aware and doing this other stuff too, right? Simply aware in the interest of accomplishing this other stuff on the side, Or maybe it's not on the side, maybe it's in the front. But you know what I'm saying. So, you know, this is really way too complex because then there's a split focus present. And we aren't really open to what actually is happening. We're too busy trying to make something specific happen or not happen. And... As, as you may have noticed by now, uh, since we actually don't have the ability to implement our preferences that often, um, you know, we fail. <laughs> That's kind of a fatal defect in any system of endeavor, isn't it, as failure? So another part of it is, you know, this kind of rigidity of approach where there's a goal or orientation to these, these particular kinds of agendas, really causes a lot of suffering because it resists what's actually happening, which is another way of saying it resists the truth of the present moment. And if you know, we were going to f- uh, kind of summarize what the way of working uh, <coughs> is when it's really... Uh, 
on the more effective side of things, we would have to say that our job is to harmonize with the truth of what's actually happening and not to argue with it or attempt to bypass it or reject it in the interest of the pursuit of something else. You know, as the equanimity phrase says, uh, things arise and pass away according to their nature, not our wishes. Or uh, there's this old Western song, you know, I kind of can go through my head when I realize I'm doing this is uh, one of these Dharma tunes that you get going and you can't get rid of. Uh, I fought the law and the law won. I fought the law and the law won. So... And you see, you see if you're fighting the law. And you'll know because you always lose. That's how you can tell. (laughs) So when we don't identify or acknowledge these other goals and agendas and motivations or attempt to practice from them, this is what happens. Okay. We're looking for a particular result related to that goal. Right? Is my ego gone yet? Do I have more meta yet? Yeah. Is my mindfulness better yet? We try to control what arises and what doesn't arise. Right? Because it's about trying to get something. Make something happen. We don't bring a fresh mind to the instructions. We're applying the instructions with an end in mind. Right? So we don't have kind of the freshness and uh, almost kind of uh, naivete to really just take the instructions that are given in the simplest possible way and just be very literal (laughs) with what's being said. Because the instructions, most of the time, are they're, they're just they're very literal. There's not like anything like behind it. That's it's they're very simple. If we don't see these kinds of agendas and motivations, we're always grading ourselves, right? Do you do this? You know, do you grade by the the sitting or by the day? <laughs> or by the morning, afternoon, evening? I mean, how, how does it happen? So, uh, of course, since we're, we're getting, in, in, uh, getting graded by ourselves, uh, our, our egoic sense inflates and deflates based on our sense of success, right? I mean, isn't that true? You know, if, if there's a sense that we've had a, a good, chewy, crunchy kind of sitting that there's kind of a little bit of, you know? And then in the afternoon, if there's one where the mind is all over the place or like really struggling with sleep, and then it's... (laughs) And, you know, one of the other big issues is that we're generally out of mindful connection with the predominant experience. So when you're 
really in this mode and you don't see it. There's a lot of struggle and fatigue and there's a lot of arising of hindrances. And then when we fail to control, you know, we get kind of mad or sad. Right? And then the self-judgment comes and the doubt and the fatigue and lots and lots of, of hindrances arise. So you'll be pleased to know that there are ways to work with this kind of split focus, motivation, uh, desires, uh, and agendas. And the big point with this is to hold an open-ended context for practice. And part of that is acknowledging and repeatedly reminding yourself of the fact that you don't actually know what should happen next. You may think you know, but you don't. But it's so insidious, isn't it? I mean, how many times a day does that come in either as a very explicit or implied uh, feeling thought, emotion, that something should be happening that isn't. But, you know, we really don't know how things will unfold. And, you know, after things have happened, have arisen, and have been known, specific insights may arise as a consequence, but they arise after not before, right? So, therefore, if at any time uh, you have the thought or feeling, I shouldn't be experiencing this, please know you've fallen into opposition and you're trying to run uh, a show that you are not qualified to operate. So something that would be, you know, kind of a, a, a better rendition of, of the view instead of, you know, trying to run it would be uh, an aspiration, something like, may I let go of all holdings, patterns, and beliefs which keep me separate from the truth? You know, are you willing to be that open-ended? Are you willing to say, oh, I'm prepared to have my um, understanding trued by reality. So another way of working with these motivations and desires of agendas is to let the practice do itself. You know, people here who are in 12-step programs probably might find a little bit of ring of familiarity here with this. You know, if you can let go of the ego, goic self, as a reference point, then the practice becomes very kind of unembarrassed and very simple. Right? doesn't mean you have to, like, stamp out the egoic sense or decide the egoic sense is bad or wrong when it arises. Nothing about that. It's a question of, are you practicing 
out of the ego without seeing it? Or if the ego is present, is it an object of awareness, just like hearing or sound or the breath? So, you know, this is not easy, but it is simple. So, you know, another way to deal with these uh, agendas and motivations that are mixed or fixed is to uh, drop them completely, which is the simplest way of dealing with it. You know, kind of put them to the side and let them go if you can. But, you know, they're kind of sticky, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Put them to the side and let them go, (laughs) let them go. Whoa, here they come again. So since that is sometimes or even often not an option, then what can we do? Treat them the same way that we treat hindrances, which is become conscious of them. Become really conscious of them. When they arise, bring mindfulness to them in the same way you would to the breath or a sound. See them as a desire. Notice any attachment to them or any desire to do them. Kind of like any desire to like put them into play. Another thing you can do is to reframe these motivations and desires in a way that's more skillful so that they can actually become kind of stepping stones to your practice instead of obstacles. In other words, revise them to be more skillful. And this can be uh, very wise indeed because, you know, after all, I'll go back to the list of things that, you know, can come up. For us as things that we're trying to implement on the side while we are doing the practice, I mean, there is a grain of truth in a lot of what I listed as these side agendas that, you know, are sometimes the primary agendas if we're not careful. You know, we do want to be happy. We do want to be well. We do want to... move in the direction of change which is wholesome and in our interest and well-being. It's not wrong to want to be well. It's not wrong to want to, uh, you know, work on particular uh, uh, emotional holdings that keep us unhappy and suffering. It's a question of how we go about doing it. So let's go back to what I said were examples of motivations and agendas we carry with us, uh, whether for a whole retreat or a sitting, and look at how they could be reframed in a way that's more skillful. So we'll take this one of uh, to get rid of a particular emotion or emotional pattern. All right, that could be reframed to say, to learn to meet difficult emotions with compassion and courage. We're not trying to apply the, uh, you know, the exacto knife and cut it out and get rid of it. We're saying, I want to learn how to be present with what is present because the conditions for it being here are met. How about the one uh, to make ourselves different, preferred version, in some essential manner? What if we thought of it more like um, to open to my full potential by developing new strengths? 
right? It's, it's uh, along the same vein, but it's broader, right? It's broader, it's more general. It's open-ended in terms of how that would come about. And so in that, it invites more of a surrendered attitude. To attain a particular kind of spiritual experience we've heard or read about. That could be reframed as saying something like, to recognize new growth and insight without attachment. To recognize new growth and insight without attachment, right? It's just a fact. Sometimes concentration is there. Sometimes metta is there. Sometimes things open that haven't opened before. It's just a fact. We need to open to that. We need to acknowledge it. It's healthy and wholesome to acknowledge that we've chosen a a path or a direction of growth and development. To prove something to ourself or someone else. That could be reframed to to develop confidence and faith in my true nature. To develop confidence and faith in my true nature. To experience pleasantness, bliss, or concentration, maybe a little psychic experience too, could be reframed to to recognize pleasantness, bliss, and concentration when they arise without attachment. Because the acknowledgement of this is important. These are wholesome states of mind, unless they're clung to. To impress the teachers, get recognized. To develop my potential in order to serve others. To develop my potential in order to serve others. To have my ego and or personality disappear. To recognize my true nature. To recognize the ego and the personality for what it is, a particular arising at a particular time that need not be clung to or identified with. To again experience something from a previous retreat or sitting could be reframed to let go of all expectations, seeing the unique truth of every moment. To let go of all expectations, seeing the unique truth of each moment. To not experience something from a previous retreat. (laughs) To let go of all expectations, (laughs) seeing the unique truth in each moment. (laughs) To be a good yogi, great would be better. To offer the Sangha the gift of my highest intentions. To offer the Sangha the gift of my highest intentions. It has some of the elements of the first, but you can see it's a purified version, right? In the, in the mix of motivations, in the mix of agendas, it's picking up out the wholesome aspect, 
and saying, okay, this might be the general direction, but this is why I'm doing it. This is, this is why. To get rid of a physical, emotional condition, to remember with compassion all those who struggle, may we be free from suffering. To remember with compassion all those who struggle, may we be free from suffering. Because as we see with uh, compassion practice, we're not the only one. So, you know, those are some of the ways to work with it. Letting our practice be open-ended. Recognizing we don't know where it's going. That we're not in charge of it. Surrendering to the process. Letting the process or the practice do itself. Dropping or setting aside these agendas. Making them conscious. Bringing mindfulness to them when they arise. And noticing attachment to them. Reframing them, which is what what I just did. And then uh, the last strategy. Observe closely what happens when you attempt to meditate from these perspectives. You know, watch the train wreck. (laughs) And this one is for people who, you know, don't take direction well. So try it, you know, try it and see what happens. Okay, so, so back to the advice of, you know, not practicing to get rid of anything or to cause, you know, these narrow particular uh, mixed motivation uh, things to come into place. You know, we need to understand that this whole spiritual practice thing is very much a composting process. Because our motivations, our intentions are mixed. Our mind streams are mixed. How could it be anything else? You know, we, we pick, we try to pick, we intend to pick the highest of them and to always operate from it. And yet, just like holding the door and then realize that you're kind of looking to see if somebody else saw you hold the door, so hopefully they would have the thought that you were generous, meta-filled being. These motivations are often woven together in one single actor set of activities. So we'll go back to the story that I started with at the beginning of this pretty remarkable woman who decided that she was going to walk cross country by herself, you know, giving peace concerts along the way. So a number of months later, She called me at work and said that she was back, back in town, and that she wanted to come over and talk. And so I was very interested in this, you know, and hearing, hearing about it, hearing what the endeavor was like, hearing what was going on, what it was like, you know, what she went through, what the changes uh, were that happened in her, uh, her mind, in her practice, even, uh, yeah, in her whole being undertaking something like this. So she came over, and I said, 
what was it like? And she said, I realized that the reason I was doing it was uh, my boyfriend dumped me and I wanted to get him back. And I thought that if I did something like this, he'd be impressed and I would probably lose some weight. (laughs) You didn't expect that, did you? (laughs) And neither did I. I was like, wow. <laughs> it's like, not only was like my, my, you know, idealized, like, thing, like, broken in the moment, but what was really startling to me was I noticed my reaction, which was, I can't believe she just admitted that. Right? Because don't you think, you know, if you like went through all of this with that as your stated intention and motivation, like when you got to the end of it, wouldn't you want to at least like hold that storyline together? (laughs) Right? (laughs) Because that's a long walk to do for a boyfriend, you know. (laughs) No matter how good he was, he must have been a dandy, you know. But but then the conversation got really interesting because she said, you know, I realized when I started out, you know, when I started out, you know, I, I really, I didn't really realize that there were these other things going on in the background. Right? I, you know, I, as far as I was concerned, you know, I was really doing this to, you know, for the stated reasons. She says, but as the days went on, and, you know, it became difficult... And I, you know, I became more and more present with what I was doing. I became more aware of, you know, what my emotions were, you know, thoughts and memories and all the rest. In other words, mindfulness increased, right, in the process of doing this. Can you imagine, you know, like day after day walking, you know, 20, 30, 40 miles a day by yourself, you know, either out on these country roads or out, you know, on roads where, you know, trucks and stuff are whizzing by and there's you and your little musical instrument and everybody going by is going like that. What's that lady doing by the side of the road? And I won't even start with the cars pulling over, offering rides and stuff. But as she went along and was doing this, her mind purified. She became much more in contact with her mind stream and the full range of what was present in terms of her motivation for doing this, right? So it's not like she lost purity of intention as she went along and did this. She gained it, right? She was able to open to the mix in her own mind that accompanied and was associated with this Activity with this undertaking. So, you know, even though she may have started with this as very much a part of her mind stream, her mixed mind stream at the beginning, at the end of it, it was something else altogether, right? Because as she went along and dealt with the difficulty, it came up in her face, she saw what it was, she saw it was an inadequate motivation, she could relate to it in a mindful kind of way as an arising in the mind. 
not be seduced by it, not be depressed by it, not be, you know, disgusted by it, not any of that. She could see it, and then she could turn towards the purified motivation, which was also there at the beginning, and continue on and to draw energy from that to complete the undertaking that she had committed to. So uh, there's a moral in the story, right? So these mixes are inevitable. Don't be seduced by them. You know, choose in the direction that will allow for the motivations and agendas to be purified. Set your compass. They'll work themselves out in the whole process just like everything else does. Don't be shocked, horrified, or any of the rest of it. Find the seed of wisdom in what's present in that mix and make it conscious and act on the highest version of it. So, you know, you're doing your own uh, version of the the cross-country walk, so... um, I wish for you success in your uh, journey and in the process of purification that you've undertaken. So let's just uh, sit for a moment and let the words settle. May we recognize and rest in our highest motivations and know the end of sorrow and complete liberation of mind.